There's a village in England that everyone knows about, the home that for 25 years the porch light has always been on. As dusk settles, the mother goes in, turns on the light. 25 years ago, her son left home. Every day she longs and hopes and prays for his return. And the porch light is to say to him, you're welcome, please come home. And right around the world there are mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, friends and family who have got a metaphorical light turned on. They've got prodigals and they're longing we are longing for them to come home. And it's not only that lady in that village, it's not only us, but as Philip Yancey in his uh, book, What's So Amazing About Grace, said, it's the lovesick Heavenly Father who is longing for the prodigals to come home. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me? And we're looking... Uh, at the story of the prodigal son. Now, the interesting thing is you won't find the word prodigal in the scriptures. You may find it as a, a subject heading, but nowhere is that term used. We are the ones who have adopted that term. And Jesus is talking and he's got two groups of people that are listening to him. In verse 1, there's the tax collectors and the sinners. And they are all gathering around Jesus to listen to him. Why did they come to Jesus? They're sinners. Apparently, he loved them. Apparently, he didn't stand in judgment against them. He didn't cater to them. He didn't compromise. But he just unconditionally loved them and welcomed them. And so Jesus is going to speak to the sinners. Maybe there are some of those who will join me to listen to his words because we too are sinners. But then look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. Can't you just hear them? This man welcomes sinners. And who, who are they? The scribes. Well, they are the religious people of the day. And the Pharisees are there. The scribes are the teachers. But the Pharisees set themselves apart. Well, we don't just know the law. We keep the law. And they let everybody know how fastidious they were about keeping the law. And they didn't want to have anything to do with these Sinners, tax collectors, and you can see them pulling up their robes. Oh, we don't want my clothing touching those untouchable sinners. And Jesus sees it all. And he begins to tell some stories about lost people. And he starts by uh, talking in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he not he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? 
And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbours and together and he says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jesus is beginning to draw in his listeners, the crowd. He tells a story that gets the men in because many of them are shepherds and they know what it is to lose one of the sheep. They know what it is to go looking and they know the thrill of finding the lost sheep. But Jesus said, hey, I'm not just talking about lost sheep and shepherds. I'm talking about lost people. And then he goes on, or suppose a woman, and he draws the women in, and he said she has 10 silver coins. She loses one of them. Now, in those days, when a woman got married, she would often wear uh, around her head an adornment which had 10 silver coins. It's a little bit like a wedding ring. And if she lost a coin, it's like you or me losing our wedding ring. And so Jesus has drawn the crowd in. He's got the women listening now. And he said, if you lose one of those coins, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus is, is again gathering in the people and he's saying to them, it's not about lost wedding rings, it's about lost people. It's about finding them. And then he goes on and he tells a story. There's a man who had two sons. You see, he's got their attention now. Ah, we're all listening. A man with two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and he set off for a dis- different, uh, sorry, a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in the land and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything what a desperate situation this younger son now finds himself in what a sad situation the father finds himself in for this son has come to dad and he said dad I wish you were dead because that's the only way a son could get the inheritance from his father He says, Dad, I wish you were dead. And so the father bows to the desires of the son, gives him his inheritance, and the son goes and squanders it. 
And the crowd are hanging on every word now because the sinners and tax collectors recognize themselves. They know what it is to willfully go into the far country. Oh, that sheep had just wandered off carelessly. The coin had been lost. The engagement uh, marriage ring had, had been lost accidentally. And those things happen in life. But here's the son, deliberately, willfully, going to a distant country. And so despairing is his life that a Jewish boy is looking after pigs. Things are pretty bad. And you and I know people who have willfully shaken their fist at God, maybe at an earthly parent, and said, I wish you were dead. I want to do it my way. And there is a willful, deliberate disobedience and going off into the far country and there is heartache and there are shattered hopes and dreams and there are lost lives. But the story doesn't end there because Jesus goes on to talk about the second son. And now he draws in the Pharisees. He set the trap and he begins to speak to them. And we pick this story up over on verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Oh, the Pharisees heard that. That was who they were. They had slaved for God. They'd never disobeyed him. And then, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him, the contempt of the older brother. And the Pharisees were tuned into Jesus. But I want to suggest to you today that we who have been Christians for a long time need to be careful because maybe we become the Pharisees of the church of today because we have followed Jesus and we've obeyed him slavishly sometimes. And there can be a, a, a twist in our thinking God, you owe me. Oh, you get all excited about these sinners who come back, but what about me? I have been so faithful. And Timothy Keller calls us those who have moral conformity. And we begin to look with disdain 
at those who have gone to the far country and we see ourselves far better. So Jesus is talking about lost sheep, lost coins and a lost son. I don't know that the second son, the older son, is lost but he certainly needs a heart transplant. He's got some problems. So who's the prodigal? Well, it's anyone who has been home and then goes away. Anyone who's been in relationship with the father and then turns their back. And we're not talking this morning about those who have never heard the gospel and never responded to the gospel. We're talking about those who have grown up in church, perhaps. Our sons and daughters, our parents, maybe Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, maybe elders and pastors who have just wandered away accidentally, casually, carelessly. Oh, I didn't mean to do it, but, you know, we got other interests and we just drift away. Or occasionally, it's been very willful. Why are the prodigals lost? Why are we lost if we wander away? What caused it? Well, I think the church has contributed. See, no one has done more for young people. No one has done more for families than the church. But we are not perfect. And I know this church is not perfect because I'm a part of it. I won't say anything about you. And I know that in my life and in my role in a church, I have stood in judgment on others and I have been more interested at times in discipline than in restoration. I've been legalistic and demanding uh, and I've looked for people to live right, measuring them up against what I consider is important for a Christian. And I've made it harder for some to stay and I've made it easier for them to go. And the church contributes to prodigals, two stories, a young couple, not married, but the girl ends up pregnant. And so the church fathers get the young couple up front and discipline them, humiliate them in front of the whole congregation. Is it any wonder that young couple wanted nothing to do with the church? But I know another church where a teenage girl, year 10, became pregnant. And mum and dad and pregnant daughter stood on the platform at church and said, this is where we find ourselves. We are so sorry. And the church gathered around to pray with them and said to that family, we will walk with you. We'll support you. And the church is doing it. You see, that church makes it easy for a prodigal to come home. 
It makes it easier for young people who may make mistakes to stay. But there's another reason why we have prodigals, and that's because of parents and family situations. And all of us as parents have this incredible desire to see our young people to grow up and honour the Lord. And I did that. And I long for my kids to walk with the Lord. And with one hand, I'm dragging them into the relationship with God. And with another hand, because of my failings as a father, I'm pushing them away. None of us are perfect as parents. We've all failed. But if we confess, he'll forgive us. We haven't prayed like we should have. Sometimes we've been too hard and sometimes we've been too soft. And sometimes we just haven't been anything. We haven't been there. We t- it's time for us to come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive us. Didn't do too well there. And he forgives. And by the way, who's... Who's the father of Adam and Eve? It's God. Perfect father, perfect environment, and still they became prodigals. And I know of a ministry couple, friends of ours, had two sons, longed to see them grow up and honour the Lord. And today one of them is serving as a missionary overseas and the other one is serving time for drug offences parents contribute but so do the prodigals and you see a prodigal can hide behind all sorts of excuses ah the church this my parents that if only somebody And we can blame everybody else. But God says, no, accept your own responsibility. Or we like sheep have gone astray. We've gone everyone his own way. Oh, our family and our church may have made it easy to go away and hard to come home. But ultimately, I am responsible. You are responsible for your own and our own behaviour. And we've got to man up and own up and accept that responsibility. And I think of so many people that I have known over years who have willfully rebelled. And some of them have come home, but others, no. Still blaming somebody else and never looking in the mirror. What's going to bring the prodigals home? Well, I'll tell you what will bring the prodigal home. It's the prodigal father's heart. One of my favourite authors is Timothy Keller, and he wrote a book called The Prodigal God. You see, the word prodigal means, it's an adjective, and it means recklessly extravagant. Now, that can be the prodigal son in the far country, but it can also be the father. 
prodigal means the one who gives profusely. And that can be the prodigal son giving himself to a reckless, wasted lifestyle. Or it can be the prodigal father who gives forgiveness profusely. And so we, we have that wonderful passage where the son says, how many of my father's uh, hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the sinners in the crowd were thrilled. Here is the father doing something that no father would be seen doing, running down the road. Oh, dignity, please. But you see, Jesus is not talking about any father. He's saying this is the heavenly father, the heavenly father who goes looking for the lost sheep, who looks into the darkest places for the lost coin and waits compassionately for the willfully lost son to return home. And so the son starts to get out his apology. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine who was dead is alive. He was lost, he is found and they began to celebrate. The son doesn't even get the full speech out to his father and notice the response of the father. It wasn't, poor poo, where have you been? Get the soap and get the smelling salts. No, it's get my best robe. This is my son. He's back home. Put a ring on his finger, the ring of the authority of a son so that when he writes a letter, he can stamp the seal authorizing all the contents of the contract or the letter or whatever. That's what the ring was all about. And servants did not have shoes, only family members. And, and Jesus is saying to the sinners and tax collectors, you belong. Come, come home. You belong. And what do you think the scribes and Pharisees are doing? Do they believe right? What's their behavior like? But you see, when we get uh, the prodigal heart of God right, sinners will come home. Jesus said you belong. Well, what about this boy? What about his wasted life? Well, there would be time for his life to be transformed. And when we come to the Father, he doesn't say, now, do you believe right? Okay, now you can belong. You've got to pass the test of behavior 
and now you belong. No, he says, you belong to me now. You've been born again. My DNA, my seed is in you. And this is a process called sanctification, and it takes a lifetime. And we become more like our father. Now, you can see my son. I think he's here. And if you see him, you'll see there's some similarities. But when he started, he was just a screaming seven-and-a-half-pound baby. Couldn't even feed himself. Couldn't mow the lawns. (laughs) Different story now. His father depends on him. You see, that's what growing up and maturity is all about. And that's why Jesus says, come, come home. And we'll begin to clean you up. We'll get rid of the stench of the pigs. We'll restore the lost years. That's what Jesus wants to do. Oh, how we need the prodigal heart of the Father. We need penitent hearts too because if you're a prodigal this morning, for heaven's sake, for your own sake, own up to your own sin, man up and repent and say, I'm coming back to the Father. Say, Father, forgive me. And he'll fall over himself to make you part of his family. That's what Jesus wants to do. There's got to be a penitent heart. And if you've rebelled and gone to the far country, you repent. And if you've stayed at home living a life of moral conformity, there needs to be some repentance too. Because we need to get the Father's heart inside of us. The heart that doesn't say, oh, I'm going to check them on belief. I'm going to test them on their behaviour. No, if they belong to the Father, they belong to the family. And we're brothers and sisters. Welcome. That will make it easy for the prodigal to come home and hard to stay away. And some of us who have been in the church for a long time have got hard hearts. And we need to look in the mirror of God's word and say, Lord, make my heart like yours. Spiritual superiority, arrogance, legalistic, pharisaical. Lord, deliver me from that. And let the prodigal discover grace, not only from the father, but from the older brothers. And then they'll come home. So when there's the prodigal father's heart and when there's penitence and when there's prayer, a prayerful heart, we've got to pray. And those of you who have got prodigals know about prayer, don't you? Because that is the constant prayer of your heart. You're always coming to the Father. And Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, don't be anxious for anything, but 
come to the Father in prayer. Bring it to him. But I want to say this burden is too great for you to bear alone and you're not meant to bear it alone. That's why we have the family of the church. In Galatians 6, we are told that we are uh, to bear one another's burdens. And it doesn't just mean helping somebody when they're down and out, but it means to stand by somebody through their tough times, to pray with them, support them. And how sad it is when some people, for whatever reason, end up being ashamed of their prodigal. And they can't talk about the ache in their heart because there'll be those who stand in judgment. What a tragic story Peter and Hillary had because their son Dan ran off with his girlfriend Sally and they shacked up down the road and Dan turned his back on his Christian heritage and his Christian family and what were Hillary and Peter to do? Well, they agonised, they grieved and they struggled and they cried out to God and, and slowly slowly the father's heart began to melt theirs and they said we've, we've got to love Dan he's our boy and we've got to love Sally that's his girl and that wasn't an overnight epiphany it took time a process but when there was birthdays there were cards and gifts for any excuse at all, come and have a meal with us. And they loved Dan and Sally. And Sally's opinion was appreciated and valued and sought after. And she felt she belonged. And when Sally's parents divorced or separated and ultimately divorced, the one she came to first was Dan's mum, Hilary she knew that she was accepted and loved but Hillary says how one day she's out having coffee with Sally and a member of the church came up to her while Sally was in the toilet or something and, and said Hillary what are you doing with that girl Dan and Sally they're, they're not married are they are you condoning them living in sin come on we know the lines We've been there. We've said it. Or we've had it said to us. And Hillary straightened up and she said to the church, Pharisee, the church gossip, Dan is my son and I love him. Dan loves Sally and has chosen to live with her. I do not condone it, but I love Sally and I will continue to love them both. God help me. That's the answer, isn't it? So I want to ask the question this morning, who is your prodigal? Because this morning, God has laid a burden on your heart. <laughs> As soon as we started talking about prodigals, your mind went there. 
Man, I've got members of my, my family, not my own children, but I've got nephews and nieces, and I've been praying for them for 30 years. And they're still prodigals. Grew up in church homes, Christian environment, and they've gone to the far country. Who's your prodigal? Son, daughter, mother, father, family member, friend, close friend. Don't carry the burden on your own. Bring the burden to the Lord, but share the burden with the congregation, the family. And family, we have a responsibility to stand by these people and pray with them, not condemn them, but to support them, love them, encourage them. Wonderful verse. We have no guarantee the prodigals will come home. There is no guarantee. But we can promise, we we can pray. And a member of the church shared this promise from Habakkuk 2.3. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. God loves the prodigal more than you and I can. He'll draw them home. Now, as we conclude, this is what I want you to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray a beautiful prayer. I didn't write it. wish I had of. But over here at either cross, there are some uh, cards and there's pens. And if your heart is burdened this morning for your prodigal, would you write the name of your prodigal, just the Christian name, on the card? and leave it at the cross, symbolic of saying, Lord, I bring this prodigal to you. And I want to pray for the prodigal to come home. So during the hymn or the final song, you write a card and leave it at the cross. And after the service, if you were burdened to pray and stand with somebody else, just come and take a card. doesn't matter, anybody's card. See, you don't know whose it is because all there is is a Christian name. And then pray. Because we all want to see the prodigals come home. True? Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord... Only you know where our prodigals are. Not just the physical place, but in their hearts, their minds, their spirits. None of us can hide from you. And who is lost that you cannot find? And we pray for them, Lord. Bring them home. Not just to us. Not even first to us, but to you. And forgive us, If as parents, friends or churches, we have made it easier for them to leave or harder to come back. 
and wherever they are and whatever they are doing, touch their lives. And when they come home, give us the spirit of the father and not the elder brother. And Lord, there are some of us who to the outside world seem never to have left the father's house. But we ourselves know how far we have wandered. Bring us back also. And when they come back, those who have gone far away and those who have wandered near, then teach us all that sometimes in your kingdom, it's not another meeting that we need, but it's a party. And God's people said, Please join us in singing this song and if you would like to come forward and write someone's name, please feel free to do that at any time. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. 